All right, shout for family. If you could, make your way back to your seat. Take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm 30. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn there, scroll there, however you need to get there. Get to Psalm 30 and listen to God's Word with me. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have helped me. You've healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God, this is your word and we are thankful. We pray that your Holy Spirit would meet it in our hearts so that we would see you clearly, see how you have worked on our behalf, that we would respond rightly. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the first week of Advent, and if you're like me, you didn't grow up celebrating Advent. I didn't. Uh, we had, we had <laughs> what's called, I've heard people say, the Bible Belt Liturgy. So we celebrated like New Year's, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter was thrown in there, Fourth uh, of July. It was all of the uh, non-holy days that our church seemed to celebrate in the church calendar, but when I began to learn about Advent, I got pretty excited that this whole season could be intentional, uh, not just looking ahead to Christmas or not just preaching about the narrative of Christ being born, but actually this whole season of anticipating, longing, aching, and hoping for Christ to come. And so what I want us to do this Advent, what we're going to do this Advent, is we're going to look at four Psalms that capture the feeling of Advent. See, Advent is this time that we acknowledge, if you're in here for a call to worship, that came from a song by Andrew Peterson called, Is He Worthy? And Advent is a time that we acknowledge the opening lines of that song. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We sure do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting in? That's what Advent is all about. It's acknowledging that Christ did come, but our world right now still feels broken. My heart still feels broken and messed up, and I look around and I see pain in the world, and the question that I was thinking about as I read Psalm 30 and I sat in it this week was, is praise possible? Is praise possible in a world like ours? When you look around, is praise possible with all that's going on in our world. But guess what? I don't have to look outside of me to ask that question. 
I can look in my own heart and say, is praise possible in a heart like mine? Is praise really possible or is my heart too broken? Am I too sinful? Am I too far gone? Am I too broken to be restored to a place of praising God? I think in this psalm, the, we'll see that praise is possible because God delivers us through darkness. Praise is possible because God delivers us through darkness. The first thing I think we see in this psalm is the definition of praise. You see at the beginning, he's praising God. I will extol you. I know you all know what extol means because we use that word all the time. But it means you're lifting something up high. You're praising it enthusiastically. He's saying, I will extol you, O Lord. And in this psalm, we see a definition of praise. And I just want to point out a couple things to us about praise. First of all, it's objective and subjective. Praise is aimed at the objectively true God. But it doesn't stop there. Praise is also subjective because it's inside of me. Praise is not just about the true God, it's about the true you. So something that I long for for our church family is that the real you would have encounters with the real God. Because praise is aimed at the objectively true God, but it's also about encountering him with our true selves. And we see that all through Psalm 30. as He's very honest about where he is and how God has interacted with him. Praise is objective and subjective, but praise is also inward and outward. I mean, we know that, right? Praise is a reality of our heart. Inside of us, we ought to be praising God. It's a posture of our heart. It's, a, it's an affection. It's an emotion. But more than that, it expresses itself outwardly. We sing, do you see there in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. And then later on, he says that my glory, he means my whole self, may sing your praise and not be silent. So praise is both inward and outward. And last, we see that praise is both individual and communal. You see, he starts and he's saying, I will extol. I mean, it's just him and God, it seems like, at the beginning. He understands that he individually has a responsibility to praise God because of who God is and who David is in light of him. But it doesn't stop individually. He turns in verse 4 and says, Oh, you his saints, all the people of God together. We ought to be praising God together because of every unique story that's represented to the saints he was talking to in Psalm 30 and represented here in this room today. We all have a story of why God is worthy of our praise. And so we have seen a definition of praise. It's objective and subjective. It's inward and outward. It's individual and communal. But praise doesn't just have a definition in this psalm. We also see the difficulty of praise. We see the difficulty of praise through the story that David tells in Psalm 30. Just the first three verses tell us about foes and enemies. It tells us about sickness that he needed to be healed from. And it tells us about death. See, I think the first difficulty of praise is, is pain. We struggle with the pain of this world. We struggle with pain in our own stories. And I wonder how pain in your life has made it difficult for you to praise God. This seems like an obvious one, right? Pain makes it hard for a lot of people to praise God. And in this psalm, it's no different. So people who want to talk about the problem of evil as if it's some uh, kneecapping to Christianity and the Bible and say, well, what do you do about evil? The first thing I'll say is that the Bible doesn't ignore it. The Bible doesn't ignore the 
as C.S. Lewis called his book, The Problem of Pain. Pain makes it difficult to praise God because we're struggling with the pain of a world that's very clearly broken. But that's not all we see that makes praise difficult. If you continue on, we actually see in verse 6 and 7 that prosperity made it difficult for David to praise God. Do you see what he says there in verse 6? As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David is getting a little overconfident. Yes, he was the Lord's anointed. Yes, he was a magnificent general. He was amazing uh, in battle. Yes, he was a good king. Yes, he was God's chosen one to be kind of the template for every other king after that. And he gave us a, a, an idea of what we should long for in the coming Messiah king. But in verse 6, David is recounting his story and he's saying, guess what? I got a little overconfident. In my prosperity, in my good times, I turned away from God and I said, I'm never going to be moved. And what a, a timely season for us to consider how prosperity makes it difficult for us to praise. A time of Christmas that we're pulled in these directions of buying, wondering how much debt we might get in by January 1, trying to minimize that as much as possible. People asking you, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want? And then being told what you want from advertisements that your phone listens to that you didn't know your phone was listening to, things on social media. And I'll tell you, I was confessing to Carrie yesterday on the way to the aquarium, covetousness in my own heart. I never have enough. And in my prosperity, in my own prosperity, I'm blinded to praising God because I fall into the lie of Genesis 3 all over again and I believe I don't need him. So if pain is a, is a negative experience in our story that makes it difficult to praise God, I would say the positive one makes it equally difficult because in our prosperity, we might believe the lie, which is maybe more common in our culture, our society specifically, East Cobb, Cherokee County, Fulton County. We might believe the lie that, hey, my, my life's going pretty good. Why do I need God? And in our prosperity, it makes it difficult for us to praise we struggle with pain that makes it difficult to praise. We struggle with prosperity that makes it difficult to praise. And so what do we do? Well, we do exactly what David does in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. With the difficulty of praise that pain and prosperity bring, our only hope is to plead. To plead with God. David pleads with God for his life, that he wouldn't go down to the pit, to the place of the dead, so what can we do with these things in our life that make it difficult for us to praise God? What can we do but name these things in God's presence? These things that make it difficult for us to praise, we can't fix. We can't just flip a light switch and be all better. We can't just solve the pain in the world quickly. But we can do what David did and we can plead with God we can name the pain that's around us. We can name the brokenness that's inside us. And we can plead to God for deliverance. And friends, this is the theme of Advent. Coming face to face with brokenness. And it not leading us to despair, but it leading us to hope. 
when we come face to face with brokenness, with the things that make it difficult for us to praise God, the things outside of us and the things inside of us, it doesn't have to lead us to despair. In fact, Advent invites you to be more honest than you've ever been about the brokenness inside of you, about the brokenness around you, about the ways that you're not complete. But Advent invites you to take those things to God. So if we've seen the definition of praise, we look at the difficulty of praise. I think the thing this psalm leads us to next is the possibility of praise. Advent takes up this question. Is praise possible? Is praise possible? I see the world around me and it's broken. I see my heart and I've lived through enough Christmases to know that whatever I get isn't gonna fix that. I've, li- I've gotten enough gifts that I know on December 26th I'm still gonna want something else. I've also begun to live through enough Christmases that I know that this season isn't easy for everybody. Sometimes this season brings up great pain in your heart, sorrow, sadness. Maybe this is the first season without a loved one. The first season that your family looks different. Maybe this year is incredibly difficult for you. Maybe this is a season that you try to resurrect family traditions just to hold on to some semblance of normalcy in your story. In a life like that, in a world like ours, this psalm tells us praise is possible but only because of God's deliverance. David tells us the story of his own deliverance in this psalm. In the first three verses, in verse five, and verses 11 and 12, we see that he was delivered from suffering and sin. He was delivered from suffering from enemies, sickness, death, and separation from God, but he's also delivered from sin, thinking that he's standing on his own, overconfident in his own prosperity. But he was delivered into life with God. Listen to the words he uses here to describe God's deliverance. Drawn me up, healed, restored to life. Favor for a lifetime. Joy comes in the morning. Dancing, loosed sackcloth. Sackcloth was something you'd wear when you're mourning. Loosed sackcloth, clothed with gladness. David's telling us the story of his deliverance, and in this deliverance, we learn the pattern that God uses when he delivers any of us. And the pattern, whether we like it or not, is that God's deliverance always comes through sorrow. God's deliverance always comes through sorrow. Listen to Romans chapter five, verses three to five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We don't rejoice in suffering. We flee suffering. We fix suffering. We don't rejoice in it, but here's what he says. We rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is how God works. He uses sorrow to produce greater joy. He uses the darkness and the pain of night to bring the joy and relief of morning. I've always been a great sleeper. My whole life, slept great. I was always the first one to sleep whenever we would all hang out uh, as a kid and go to sleepovers, always. I never finished a single movie that we watched together. 
in, uh, in Zach's basement or LP's basement, never finished a single movie. Didn't even start some. Always slept great. Um, until the last few years. Sleep's been really difficult for me. Mm, not all the time, but sometimes. And isn't sleep weird because you can't just like force yourself to do it? You really, you have to get in the right situation and you turn your lights off, maybe you turn your sound on, maybe you get it, you turn a fan on or you get the right, you know, are you too hot or are you too cold or are you, are you wearing the right pajama and you try to put yourself in the right situation, but really sleep's kind of something that happens to you. We say go to sleep, but that's not really something you're doing. And, and for me, this became challenging when I would wake up in the night and it would seem like all my guards were down and I would experience the full-blown, I don't know the way to say it, I guess attacks of the evil one, worry and anxiety like I've never experienced before. Flooded with lists of things that have gone undone in my life and thinking about the worst possible consequences that's gonna happen if I don't get them done. The night is a time of vulnerability. We're laying unconscious, trusting, hoping nobody's breaking into our home, trusting and hoping that the world is still turning, knowing that for the next few hours, there's nothing you can do, period. You can't make the world go round. You can't be productive while you sleep. And in the nighttime, weeping may tarry, you might be vulnerable, but the morning is coming. God uses the darkness and the pain of night to bring the relief of the morning. And it seems like when the morning comes for me on those sleepless nights, I have an incredible clarity that I didn't have in the middle of the night. It's just like our kids, right? Scared of the dark, but you turn the light on. The same room they're scared to sleep in at night, they have so much fun in during the day. And it's that clarity, but it's through the night that the morning comes, and that's exactly God's pattern of deliverance. It's through the night that the morning comes. In our morning, sadness, grieving, God is working, and the good news message of Advent is that in a world gone wrong, in our broken hearts, God is there, and he's working. He's working to get us to the end of ourselves, to we realize we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix the world on our own. We've got a hope outside of us. Nothing you do, nothing you accomplish is going to fix it. And goodness, don't we seek temporary fixes. Wow, I want to be fixed. You're all invited to come pray with us at 8 o'clock uh, every Sunday. Nathan and I were praying together this morning, and we are sharing some prayer requests back and forth. And I said, I just hate that I'm in the middle of a process. I absolutely hate it. I want to be fixed. I want the sins and struggles of my heart to be done, to just be fixed. And he offered some great encouragement to me, and he said, you know, where's the, fun, where's the fun in that? God just gives you the keys, then you go, okay, thanks, now I don't need you anymore, God. But I want to be fixed. We love temporary fixes. We want a quick, immediate fix, but Advent invites us to look around and say, this is not a quick fix. I can't put a Band-Aid on this. I can't ignore this anymore. What I most need, what you most need in Advent is to be honest about how broken things really are. The very things I want fixed are the things that God's using in my life to bring me closer to him. The sorrow you want to get rid of, 
God is using to show you that you can't fix your life any other way. The sadness of this season, God is using to invite you to Him. The sin you've promised yourself, you're going to put away. God is inviting you to Him for Him to heal it. But the pattern God uses for deliverance is by first bringing you through sorrow. It's first bringing you through the pain, bringing you through the weeping, bringing you through the night, bringing you through the anger so that you can rejoice in his favor, bringing you through the sackcloth and the, the sadness of mourning and grieving so that on the other side you can find relief, you can find joy, you can find peace. But we've got to come to the end of ourselves and this Advent is an invitation for you to come to the end of yourself. Be honest about the brokenness. Because that's exactly what we need. And we see the pattern of God's deliverance, but like we try to do in all of Scripture, we're, we've got an eye on Jesus in this psalm. And, and we learn a lot from David's story. We see this definition of praise. We see the difficulty of praise. But we see the possibility of praise, and we're encouraged. But right now, it's just a possibility we see that God has a pattern of deliverance and he delivers through sorrow. So what does that mean for me and you? Well, what it means is that one came after David, not just King David. He died and stayed dead. But did you know one came after David who willingly walked into all this darkness? He chose to walk into the darkness of this world. He didn't shy away from the brokenness at all. But he felt the full limitations of what it meant to be a human being. He felt the full weight of brokenness in this fallen world. And listen to what Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says about this one after David, King Jesus. It says, have this mind among yourselves. He's talking about being humble. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held onto. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came into the brokenness of this world, and he comes into the brokenness of your own heart. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't flee from it. He comes running towards it. He felt the full limits of what it meant to be a human he loved and he lost. He wept and he rejoiced. He feasted and he fasted. And so while David is experiencing the attacks of enemies, he's experiencing the pain of the world, he's fearing death and he's pleading with God, save me from the pit. Don't let me get into the pit. Christ is not pleading to be saved from the pit. Christ is pleading from the pit he walked into. Because he walked into death. He came to this world on the very first Christmas so that he could face death and walk into it willingly and taste death for us and then kick the door out the other side. Jesus didn't just plead that God would save him from experiencing the pit, he pled that God would resurrect him out of the pit. That, friends, is the hope of Advent. The hope is not that something in this life can fix all of our problems. 
The hope is not that there's something you can do, some book you can read, some strategy for living you can take up that's gonna make everything fit together in a better way. You can't meet a person to do that. You can't take a job to do that. You can't buy a gift to do that. Christ came to taste the, the darkness and the death for us so that he could be resurrected and show us that what we really need is not a better life, but a new life. So his resurrection out of death, his resurrection out of the darkness of our world is a promise to us that we can have hope in the midst of all this brokenness. But our hope's not in this world. Our hope's in the resurrection of Jesus. So Advent has this two sides to it. On one side, we're looking back at the coming of Jesus. And we rejoice that he walked into this broken world. He walked in, he ran full steam into death. And while we look back and we rejoice in that, we still look around and we see brokenness. We look inside, we see brokenness. So Advent means coming or arrival. We look at the first coming of Christ and then we look ahead to the second coming of Christ. And that's where our hope lies. Our hope in Advent, as we look around and we'll take a real honest assessment about our lives and about the world we live in, it's like, God, I've tried a lot of ways to put band-aids on all these broken things. But what I really need is Jesus. What we really need is Jesus. The message of Advent is that God has invaded the darkness of our lives to deliver us and make praise possible. Because praise is possible in a world like ours and in a heart like yours because of the deliverance that only Christ can bring. And he can bring you that deliverance now. And what that looks like is then you have a hope for the resurrection. You have a hope for new life. You have a hope that one day he's gonna make all things new. So as we consider Psalm 30 and we see this invitation to praise God, to rejoice in God's deliverance I pray that it would bring our minds to the deliverance that Jesus brings, that Jesus went through all of this and more so that God could save us and make praise possible in our hearts again. And I'm wondering this morning, what makes praise seem impossible for you? What makes praise seem impossible for you? What is it in your life more than anything else that tends to bring an eclipse of the goodness of God? What is it that tends to take your eyes off of God? Is it prosperity? You just not see a need for God in your life because other things, God, I'm just so busy doing these other things and I just have all these opportunities to continue to work and I know that I never go to church but it's because I'm, I'm just working and it's just, we need this and I, and I can't be there and you know what? I mean, you know in my heart I still care about you. And in our prosperity, we actually think we're building some kind of life that can bring lasting meaning to us. Is that what makes it impossible for you to, is it pain that you've experienced in your life that makes it hard for you to praise God? I want to read a short quote from a book I've been reading called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. And she says, our posture of waiting. We'll talk about waiting next week from Psalm 62. Our posture of waiting 
does not deny the horrors of the night, but it bets on the morning to come. That is Advent. I'm not going to deny the horrors of the night. We're not going to deny that there's brokenness all around our world and in our own hearts. We're not going to deny that there's things that you, you can't fix in yourself. Sins that you tried to repent of, tried to leave behind that still are nagging at you. We're not going to deny the horrors of the world we live in. Death and fighting and violence. I mean, hate, true hatred, I think we see all around. We're not going to deny the horrors of any of that. What we're going to do this Advent is we're going to bet that the morning is coming. And the morning is only coming because Jesus is bringing it. Jesus is going to bring morning. He's going to bring relief. He's going to bring joy. And I hope this Advent you'll journey with us as we journey towards Christmas Day, which is the celebration that Christ has come. And I pray he's come into your hearts to bring new life. And I pray that you're hoping that he's going to come again. And that with the resurrection, he's going to make all things new that right now we're mourning and we're grieving. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for you. <clears throat> we're thankful for your incredible plan that seems like everywhere we go in scripture, we see how you're working to make all things new through Jesus. We read things in the Old Testament and we're caught up in the story that even as David is talking about what you did in his life, we see that we need those same things and then we see that ultimately Jesus brings those things. Jesus, we're thankful this Christmas season that you chose to come. We're thankful that Philippians 2 is true. That you didn't grasp this position of being God and equality with God and say, I'm never letting go of this glory and this. You are a humble king that took the form of a servant. You were born in the likeness of men and you humbled yourself. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, we are thankful for that. And as we look around at the difficulty of praise, as we look around at, as we spend time with ourselves, praying Psalm 139 that you'd search us and know us, as we come face to face with our own sin, our own failure, our own limitations, our own flesh of ways we've tried to learn how to live and get by in life, I pray that we wouldn't turn to temporary quick fixes. And I also pray that we wouldn't ignore it. But I pray that in our sorrow, in our pain, in our sin, in our suffering, just like David in Psalm 30, God, that those things would be the soil out of which you bring deliverance, God. So God, we don't have to ignore how hard our life is or how hard sin is or how difficult this season is for some of us. But we can hope that in this season, Jesus is making all things new. So uh, the worship team is gonna come back up and lead us in one song of response. And I wanna invite you to consider this this morning. How are you responding to the difficulty of praise?
How are you responding to pain, prosperity? How are you responding to the darkness of our world? And I want to invite you this morning to plead with God for those things. You don't have to try to fix it this morning. God doesn't expect that of you. But instead, God invites you to come to him. And I pray that that's exactly what we do. So as we sing, I want to invite you to come face to face with brokenness inside of you and outside of you. And let that brokenness be the breeding ground for a hope in Jesus. Because the good news of Advent is that it doesn't end with brokenness. It ends with Christ. So Jesus, our eyes are on you this Christmas season. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.